Blaine and Mickey, 104.5 The Zone. Uh, big show playing today on this Tuesday. SEC Mike is going to jump in with us, and we'll take a look around the SEC. And uh, can't wait to do that with him. We'll, we'll start in Tennessee. We'll work our way around Coach Mack in the 2 o'clock hour to talk about the Titans who were on the practice squad or on the practice field today. Uh, Teron Davenport, and I saw some other reporters too. Julio Jones is wearing a uniform. He's out there running. He's running. Oh. Well, there was a sighting. There's a sighting of him okay. wearing a uniform in practice. So Julio Jones. Uh, also, there's been sightings the last couple of days of A.J. Brown working in individual periods, and this comes off the heels yesterday of Adam Schefter's report that there was some kind of a knee something, some kind of slight knee injury or whatever, but it, the report from Adam Schefter that that would not stop him from starting the season healthy. In the last two days, he's been out, at least in individual periods that reporters have seen, and somebody said yesterday he had naked knees, like no red sleeve, Blaine, <laughs> not that band that some guys wear, wear around their knee, uh, nothing like that. Both days, him going hard in the individual period. So if you're like, I don't know what that means, when they run through the squares or they do footwork and drills where they just catch a ball on air from someone throwing them passes. So not something where they're out there hitting other people, but the individual periods where they kind of get warmed up for practice. So he's doing stuff. We're still – Still almost a couple of weeks away from the first game of the season. There are guys who are returning to practice. Um, I made this note yesterday. Um, A.J. Brown was back limited. Uh, Jeff Swain was back. Nate Davis, Ben Jones. Danico Autry, which I loved hearing that. Marcus Johnson was back. Matthias Farley. Also, Kendall Lamb, who I think a lot of people thought, okay, Kendall Lamb's the right tackle for this team. They paid a little money for him. And then he gets hurt. We haven't seen him for a few days. So let's – Good to have him back competing at that right tackle spot, Kendall Lamb, too. Man, so we got some some starters back there on starters. offense. Yeah, and uh, Danico Autry, which I loved here. Yeah, well, okay, we got got a whole bunch of guys back. So uh, I think there's a, a sense of, okay, comfort now in the offense. Let's see now. Let's move them forward, get our timing down and everything else uh, so that uh, everybody's ready to rock and roll come week one whether that be in playing a series in the last game, not playing at all, but at least you're getting that practice time in. And you can't duplicate uh, games uh, and getting your timing, but you definitely can get back in shape and be confident that it can come pretty quickly uh, once you start playing in games. Other thing we needed to do, and our director of content, Blaine Bishop, reminded me of this as we sat down today. <laughs> There's a lot of our neighbors. A lot, of our, Lucas. a lot of our neighbors uh, to – the west of here hurting right now. I've been yeah, through a lot. And you, said, and you said, man, we definitely need to, to just say something to let them know we're thinking about them. Yeah, no doubt about it. You know, prayers for, for all those uh, dealing with the, the flooding, man. It was, you know, horrific. And, uh, you know, we just wanted to say that we'll be praying for you here from 104.5, Blaine and Mickey and all the, all the crews here uh, at every uh, time slot that, that uh, we'll definitely be supporting you guys throughout uh, this tough time. Man, it was just uh, kind of crazy to see all that going on and without saying that uh, we'll, we'll be uh, thinking about them and praying for them absolutely um one thing about this state of tennessee everybody when something happens people from all over the state rally to help and to support wherever it is that's the, the tennis i mean the volunteers always oh, coming together here in they, the south right here yes they do um they so step it up there's already people on the ground there who are helping out and um we look forward to seeing you know I'm sure our radio station is looking into some different ways to help. We got an email today, um, and I need to look that up, and I will, giving us uh, some ways to share information about where you can help. And I'll, I'll get that email pulled up here uh, from our guy, Rich Ferris, who's our promotions director. And as usual, it's taken a long time for it to call up. But uh, 
Um, Community Foundation of Middle Tennessee uh, is is a great place. So they're saying that you can go. There's a a, a ways to help page on all of our websites. Um, according to Rich, so 104.5 is on there. Be a page there that would tell you how to help the Community Foundation of Middle Tennessee supporting communities um, and the nonprofits that also help. Basically, I guess they're they're helping the people who help. If you want, you can go to cfmt.org, cfmt.org, or call 615-321-4939. And I appreciate our guy Rich sending this to me. But if you want to help, uh, go to that website or call that phone number. But we wanted to make sure to start the show and to make sure that we are uh, – uh, getting the word out and trying to help yeah. those people. And we'll, anyway. we'll tweet out something from uh, the Blaine and Mickey account. Yep. Just so you have all the information, you can go right to it, and, and that way you'll have to uh, search for it here during the break. Absolutely, I will. Uh, I'll get this together and we'll put it out on Blaine and Mickey for sure. That way, people can uh, see the information. This news coming out of Chicago, Blaine. We wondered who might be the starting quarterback for the Bears or who might the Titans see. Matt Nagy. I uh, said today that Justin Fields is going to start and play about a half against the Titans, and they're rolling with Andy Dalton. They said he was as number, a starter, as he's a starter he's not to start the, the season. Yeah, not yeah. going to play in the game. Well, you know, it's kind of interesting. Everybody just is making this assumption that Fields is going to be the starter. They're thinking he's playing coy here. As much as I probably agree with everybody else that Fields probably should be the starter, I think they're thinking, hey, we're, we're a playoff team last year. If we just hold the fort a little bit. We can go with a veteran quarterback, and we don't know who actually knows the offense better. I mean, we saw Fields get hit there and get decapitated there, and he's supposed to turn protection. Here, I'm going to give you a good example. Locker, Jake Locker, same thing happened to him versus the Texans. Didn't turn the protection, didn't know where the blitz was coming from, didn't know where his hot read was and got blasted and, and hurt his elbow or shoulder that game. Uh, you know, the, the you know non-throwing shoulder. And so that's exactly what happened to Fields. Yeah. Uh, so is he actually ready? Does he have the talent? Oh, that's, that's pretty clear to see that. Uh, a novice football guy could see that his talent and his upside is there. So it's a matter of, okay, what do you have in front of you? And what do you have on the defensive side? And do you have a running game to help, you know? And I think everybody says their offensive line is lacking. So that tells you, oh, maybe we should lean the Fields, who is – more agile. Well, Andy Dalton's not a statue. He's not a runner, right? Uh, but he's not a statue. He can maneuver within the pocket. So it's all about that. Now, you know, can he, you know, do the right protections? And then that wouldn't have been a factor on that play. Does he know the office that much better? So if you think you're a playoff contending team that you were last year, you always are going to side on the air of we're going to go with the veteran until he plays himself out of it. It could be sooner than later, though, with that kind of offensive line. You just don't know. So I really believe him that he thinks that Andy Dalton's the guy. Uh, now, that could always change if right. Fields goes out there and has a, we've seen it before, heck performance against the Titans who have dominated, uh, you know, twos, threes, whoever they're playing on defense. So if he looks good against the Titans defense, I, I think then that's going to open uh, some eyebrows. But, you know, hey, Chicago, you know, it's, it's a big market and they expect uh, big things. And if Fields and to be thinking about it, he could probably be the best quarterback that's ever played in a Bears uniform. And that's hard to say with their history. 
I'm trying to think of the. I mean, when you think of the Super Bowl shelf, you think Jim McMahon. Okay, well, he was a real good quarterback, but he wasn't a great quarterback. Right. You could say Rex Grossman took him to the Super Bowl. He's sure not did. a great quarterback. He's just a good quarter, serviceable starting quarterback. You could say Jay Cutler was a real good quarterback, but was he a great quarterback for them? He probably has most of their throwing yardage uh, stats. Can Fields be better than that? I, and I'm sure it's a whole bunch of other list of guys. We can go all the way to Jim Harbaugh. Jim Harbaugh to Vince Evans when yeah. I was growing oh, up. I remember Vince yeah. Evans. So I mean, so I mean, because I got all the Bears game. The Colts weren't in Indianapolis at the time. So I, it, it, the history shows you that he could be, if not the best, one of the best to ever play in the Chicago Bears uniform. Uh, you know, with their history. So isn't that, that funny? That's kind of interesting, just to even say that. That he could be that right. potentially. I mean, like, wow, man, that's kind of crazy. But then you go back and look, and then they really haven't had, uh, you know, a super stud quarterback. You know, like, I, yeah, I, I can't recall that. I'm sure back in the maybe before I was born or something like that. But well, I like Sid Luckman is in the Hall of Fame, but he right. played in the in the, in the 40s. Right, exactly. You know, so it, it, here in recent modern, you know, the last couple of decades, right? You just yeah. Well, in the modern history of the NFL, which, Blaine, really since 1970, which is more than 50 years now, if you had to say, okay, who's the Bears' all-time quarterback, everybody's going to pick Jim McMahon. Yeah. He's he's the easy pick, and that's and, Vince and Evans. I don't even, and I don't even know what where his numbers are, like, compared to the the rest of uh, the players. It, it was because of his moxie, his right. personality, and he was a winner. And now in college, he threw the ball all over the place at, at BYU, you know. But, but oh, my gosh, with, dude. With Chicago, they were a run-based offense with a great defense dude did jim I, I i pulled this up jim mcmahon never threw in a season never in a season threw for 2400 yards he never hit 2400 yards and that's crazy and we all know he can throw the football right, right. He, he, he proved that in college kids I mean, go to I, youtube and google jim mcmahon byu and watch that dude chuck it everywhere i mean he was followed by then what steve young to the, the detmers i mean the list goes on and on and on and all those guys did solid in the nfl and he he won though i mean so hey at one point they had walter payton i mean come on, they certainly sweet, did sweet, he could hand it to him a great. lot it was great man but the late great Walter, because they're young kids listening, like BYU. What are you talking about? BYU used to be quarterback. You, yeah. Mark, remember Mark Wilson, who played for the Raiders. Yes, Jim, Jimmy Mack and Jimmy Mac, Jim McMahon, and and Steve Young were there at the same time. Isn't that crazy? At the same place, and Robbie Bosco, who was great, and they were ridiculous. It, just, it, goes, it goes on and on the list, so we can't even come up with a list <laughs> for the Bears. Like who was even great... more classic BYU quarterbacks than Bears quarterbacks? Yeah, so I think that's what the fan base is thinking here and going, "Hey, let's just start it now. Let him go through his lumps early. Right. So halfway through the season, now he'll be a much more polished starting quarterback in the National Football League." And I get it. So that is, you know, it's you know, Nagy's job is on the line. So do you play it? You play the veteran first. Let him fail, and then you have the excuse of I had to play a young quarterback. Or do you start off with the young quarterback and put your job on the line with the young quarterback initially and say he needs time to develop? But it goes and that's back what you sell to the organization. It goes back to what you said, though. Base. If you if you show the organization, like, this guy's going to get killed. Here's him almost getting killed against the Bills. He's going to get killed in a regular season game until we can get him up to speed. Okay, so a Andy Dalton. And poor Andy Dalton's like, oh, so I can get killed. But Andy Dalton's seen enough. He'll audible protection over there. Get rid of the ball. Just get rid of the dang ball. 
you know, so. What did, what did they call them? The red what? Red uh, red rifle, right? Yeah, the red rifle. I almost said red rocket. The red rifle. And, <laughs> yeah. I've been waiting for someone to say that. I know, I know. Okay, okay. <laughs> wow, what, what is that? <laughs> well, I mean, it would just be like a redheaded person throwing a football. Very, uh, very okay. hard. I was just making sure it wasn't. Worth a Google. It, it, no. Oh, oh, don't oh, do it. Oh, 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 I need to Google that? Oh. Jim McMahon threw for, in his whole career in Chicago, he threw for 11,203 yards. And, and if we went back 50 years and said, who's the Bears quarterback? Everybody's picking him. He threw for 11,000 yards with the Bears. Now, he stayed around long enough. His career total was 18,148 yards. And, it's, and he played forever, Jim Where, Where's that put him in the, in the Bears? We don't know. Bears history as far as yardage because oh. most of their quarterbacks weren't there for a long period of time, at least here in the last couple of decades. I'm thinking those are the only ones that could have passed him because of, uh, you know, you throw the ball a lot more than you did back in his era. Well, like the great Bill Wade from Nashville was was there in the 60s. He split time between the Bears and the Rams. I bet Bill Wade probably has more passing yards than Jim McMahon. I'm just guessing. I don't know. I'm tr- yeah. well. Well, we got some breaking news. Is it, if this is sad rock and roll news, then I already know it, Lucas. It's not sad rock and roll news. It's sad Jaguar fan news. Okay, tell us. What is it? Ian Rappaport, Jaguars first-round running back Travis Etienne, suffered a significant tear, a serious Liz Frank injury that knocks him out for the next several months and potentially the season. Yeah, he, I was watching that Saints game last night. Jaguars didn't, didn't look so good on offense. The James Robinson show. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that dude was a top 100 player. He's like number well, he 100, James Robinson. Oh, well, yeah, undrafted. Yeah. But, I mean, that happens a lot at running back. I mean, they, they, you know, he, man, he, he looks really good. He's still, yeah, he got to watch on that. That's uh, good for uh, the Titans. <laughs> okay. I hate it. I, I like ETN, but, uh, hey, I don't want the Jaguars to have anything uh, on, on offense. No. All right, we got to take a break, but here you go. Uh if you're picking the Bears quarterback, it should be Jay Cutler. He's all-time by a mile, 23,443. Next is Sid Luckman, who played in the 40s, 14,000 passing yards. He's in the Hall of Fame, 14,686. Sid Luckman is like Mr. Bear, one of them with Walter Payton, Gail Sayers, and Dick, Dick Buckus. That makes sense. That makes sense that Jay Cutler has got the most passing yards. That's what I'm saying. Jim Harbaugh, then Jim McMahon, then and then Mitch Trubisky is fifth. Oh, my. Mr. Then Eric Kramer, then Billy Wade. So he's Billy Wade, still seventh. Oof. And he played what uh, six years with the Bears in the sixties. I, I could do this all day, but uh, we got to get to SEC. Mike, we'll take a look around the SEC next here on Blaine and Mickey with the one and only SEC Mike. Blaine and Mickey, 104.5 The Zone on a Tuesday. Always fun catching up with our man, SEC Mike, at Michael W. Bratton on Twitter with that SEC podcast. Mike, I don't know if you know this. It's not SEC football, and it might not be the football that, you know, people around here are quite dreaming about, but there's a full slate of college football games Saturday, this Saturday. Yeah, I've seen the lineup. Uh, it, can we call these college football games? I'm not sure. I know UCLA's playing, so uh, they got LSU here in a week or so. So that, that's the the biggest game on on my schedule here. If let's put let's put UCLA, let's say in the SEC West, where's UCLA right now? If they're an SEC West team, 
they'd be about as good as uh, Vanderbilt's reputation in the SEC. I mean, two two to three wins a year, I'd say. Man, that's off. That's straight off the top rope. I, I thought you might have them more like at the Arkansas level or something. No, oh, no, you're kidding. No, see, that's the thing with Arkansas. It, it really bugs me when people down the Razorbacks. Well, I'm from uh, Arkansas. Yeah. Trust me, I had a front row seat to years of it. Well, I got you. But here now under Sam Pittman, I mean, they've got a solid club, and uh, everyone discounts them because of the schedule. Well, they they may have the toughest schedule in the nation, but. Winning six, seven games with that schedule, I, I think in the Pac-12 they may they may win that league. Well, I, I and, and Sam Pittman, trust me, if you don't believe in that guy, and I know he wasn't their first choice, and it all happened the way it happened, but he was the right guy for that job for sure. Absolutely. Um, Vols haven't named a quarterback yet. What's the holdup on this before they just say, "Yeah, it's Joe Milton," and everybody can move on about their business? Yeah, it's pretty fascinating that uh, they don't want to tip off Bowling Green, who I believe went 0-9, 0-10, something like that last last season, one of the worst teams in college football. So I have no idea other than, um, you know, maybe you just don't want one of the Hendon Hooker or Harrison Bailey to transfer, but, exactly. but where are they going to go? So, uh, I mean, that's the only hold, hold back I can see here for whatever reason. Josh Heupel does not want that information out. Well, we want a lot of information out. We'll get it all from Mike Bratton, SEC Mike, as he joins us here on Blaine and Mickey. Well, Mike, I guess there was a meeting amongst the, uh, <laughs> I guess the other conferences, the Big Ten, the ACC, as well as uh, you know, you know, and I and I'm trying to figure out what is their discussion about Pac-12. Is uh, what are they talking about here? Why are they building an alliance against the SEC? Yeah, I cannot wait to watch this consolation conference go go at it and uh, let their champions, you know, they'll have a sacrifice up to the SEC here in a couple of years. I mean, this is this is a Hail Mary of Hail Marys. Uh, you know, with Texas and Oklahoma coming aboard to the SEC, with the SEC getting uh, that uh, ESPN Disney money coming in here in a couple of years, uh, the SEC projects to make as much as the rest of the NCAA combined. So, uh, I think this is just the other conferences just trying to do whatever they can to, you know, I, I wouldn't even say be on par with the SEC, but just be relevant because uh, I, I think if nothing else, this shows that uh, the SEC went out and got the two programs that are marketable out there in Texas and Oklahoma, and, and there's just no one else really to gobble up for the rest of the, the country. So. Uh, I don't think there's any options for the Big Ten, the the Pac-12, outside of Boise and BYU and all this. But what is that really going to do for you? I I don't think it does anything for you. Yeah, that's what I was asking because a lot of people are saying this was a a mode to slow down, I guess, the 12-team playoff eventually. I I don't know. What what are your thoughts on that? I don't think this could slow down anything. No, and I mean, you know, I've – I've always been a proponent of uh, not expanding the playoff just because I think keeping it at a smaller number, you know, you really, the regular season is just so special and unique in college football. But if you're limiting this to four teams, then the rest of these conferences got no hope. And I mean, they got no hope now. So uh, it makes no sense to me why they would want to limit it other than just kind of stick it to the SEC. And all that's going to do is limit, you know, we're only going to have two, maybe three, SEC teams in a, in a four-team playoff, whereas uh, if you go to the 12, all these other conferences are going to get representatives in there. So, I mean, this this makes about as much sense as last year when they tried to move football to spring. I mean, it's just it's poor leadership on their part 
Whereas in the SEC, it's you know we've come to find out Greg Sankey. I don't think there's any doubt he's you know the top dog when it comes to leadership in college athletics at the moment. The SEC, they rule. They they are the king. So with that being said, Oklahoma and Texas, you know the TV and the money and everything else says 2025. Do you think this could happen sooner than later, like next year or the next couple years? Yeah, I really do, and uh, it'll it'll happen the day uh, the Big Twelve you know, crumbles. If that were to happen in, in the next year or so, I think it'll happen immediately. So uh, that's, you know, you don't want to risk, uh, wish ill things on the Big 12, but uh, I, I could certainly see that happening. But yeah, I think uh, even if that doesn't happen, I think at the latest, Texas and Oklahoma will be in the SEC by 2023. Uh, it's just a matter of getting out of those contracts. And if I'm the Big 12, I understand to a degree why you're holding on for dear life to Texas and Oklahoma. But on the other hand, I just, I don't buy it. I mean, get your money and make your moves because if you're sitting there just trying to hold on to Texas and Oklahoma for four more years, uh, the rest of the the college landscape is going to pass you by. They need to be proactive just like the SEC was with getting Texas and Oklahoma. Big 12 needs to be making some moves for their survival uh, otherwise, I mean, they're going to they're gonna go under as soon as Texas and Oklahoma leaves because whoever the attractive options are out there, whether it's a Boise, whether it's a BYU or Cincinnati, whoever you want to put in there, UCF, uh, if they don't make those moves soon, I don't think they're going to be able to make them in, in three, four years. Mm-hmm. Man, and you know what else is going to piss everybody off? It's going to be legal to actually do the horns down, and it won't be a penalty in the <laughs> SEC. <laughs> oh, I can't wait for that. You know what? SEC Mike on with us on Blaine and Mickey. You know, you mentioned this with the Big 12, and, and it's been kind of quiet. And, and, and I guess at, at this point, whatever they would be doing would be buying closed doors. You don't want your business exposed to the world, so to speak. But, you know, we were talking about this one day. There's never been a better time to be good at football. And, like, right now Cincinnati's a top-10 team. I mean, I think I'd be on the horn to somebody like Cincinnati and, and maybe also UCF. They've got 70,000 students at that school, and they've got however many thousands of students that are all under like the age of 40 years old. I mean, I would start with those two, not to mention getting into a possible Boise State or a Houston or some other schools in big markets um, that have competed at a high level before. Again, Houston at one time was was – more of a power five type school in the old Southwest conference, although no one was calling it the power five then, but you know what I mean? But I, I'd get way more proactive than what they have been. Right. If they're just sitting here twiddling their thumbs, I mean, I think there's a chance that Cincinnati gets gobbled up by the big 10. I could certainly see that. I could see the ACC. I know Florida state would be against it probably, but I think the ACC got to look at uh, not only central Florida, but potentially even South Florida, uh, because they have a relatively large alumni base as well. So, I mean, that just goes to what I'm saying. I mean, you've got to be making your moves. You've got to be making them now. You wait two, three, four years down the line. Uh, I, I think all these moves will be behind you. SEC Mike on with us. Hey, what, what's next for Brian Maurer? What have you heard about that? I, I know Vol fans just wish that guy the very best in life and in football. Where do you think he goes next? Yeah, I mean, that's tough to say. I would imagine he probably gets closer to home you know, and goes down a level, uh, whether that's G5 or FCS, what have you. Uh, you know, I was always rooting for him, too, because when he got in there, you know, I don't want to compare his arm talent to Brett Favre, but that's kind of what he reminded me of uh, in, in the other ways. You know, we're just 
I mean, he would just sacrifice his body. He would make the tough throws. Uh, he really seems to have some potential. So I'd like to see him go somewhere. Maybe, you know, Hugh Freeze loves collecting him, some uh, former SEC quarterback. So maybe even Liberty, I could see something like that. But, uh, yeah, I wish him well. I just I don't think it was ever going to work out for him at Tennessee after uh, uh, last season's kind of debacle of, of him getting in there and just kind of, all the turnovers we saw, but uh, certainly wish him well, but I've not heard anything at this point to where he may be headed next, but it, it's not an ideal time to, to hit the transfer portal with uh, most of the rosters across the country set. No, that's uh, absolutely true. Uh, you mentioned the Vols opening with, with Bowling Green. Heck, that's a little over a week away now, and I, I think a lot of Vols fans would, would feel comfortable about what might happen in that game. How big is the Pittsburgh game for Josh Heupel in year one and this program as a whole? I mean, I think it's borderline monumental. I mean, because we at Tennessee, I'm a Tennessee grad, so I know all about it, man. We got Derek Dooley and Butch Jones and Jeremy Pruitt, but there always seems to be a game early in those guys' careers where the fans expect to win, and it's not a traditional power program exactly like Pitt. You know, they're an average-at-best ACC team, and this is an opportunity for Josh Heupel to because there's certainly Tennessee fans that are still wondering how he's the coach of their program at this point in time. If he loses that game, I think, uh, you know, they're not going to be totally out on him, but it's just going to, it's going to further the doubters. Whereas if he wins that game, gets some momentum, starts his career three and O going into Florida with uh, a Florida team that's facing Alabama the week prior. I mean, there's a really good chance that you, you will have a ton of momentum going into the swamp, and I'm not sitting here saying they're going to beat Florida. I think that'd be a ridiculous thing to say at this point. But if they did, I mean, he's going to be the most popular Tennessee coach since uh, <laughs> Phil Fulmer in his heyday. You know what? SEC Mike on with us uh, at Michael W. Bratton on Twitter, that SEC podcast, if you want to hear uh, him talk about the SEC when he's not on with Blaine and Mickey right now. Yeah, no doubt. Once they announced that uh, Milton's a starting quarterback, at least we assume that, what are your other, I guess, biggest concerns uh, with Tennessee and their football program? Well, I mean, it's obviously going to be the defense, and uh, more importantly, I think, even just the, the overall depth. And Tennessee has really, you know, they say in training camp, uh, no news is good news for the most part, and that's certainly been the case. You know, there's been a, an injury here or there, but uh, Tennessee has avoided that injury bug, so I think that's fantastic news. And that's something that uh, Josh Heupel hit on in his most recent presser, just the the flexibility, particularly on that defensive side of the ball, because you don't have uh, full 85 scholarships to work with. So you got to be mixing and maxing uh, pieces there on that defensive side of the ball. And uh, I think that'll be critical. But as I continue to say, I think Tennessee is going to look a lot like Ole Miss did last year. And now that uh, Joe Milton is potentially going to be the starting quarterback, I think that only furthers that. Because at this time last year, nobody was talking up Matt Corral. He was a former All-American in high school, just like Joe Milton, had a huge arm, just poor coaching before that. So Tennessee, I think, um, yeah, I kind of like the move. I, I didn't think Joe Milton was going to be the guy to be, you know, fully transparent. But uh, I think it's a gamble in the sense that, you know, it's almost like a boomer bust. And that's what Matt Corral was last year where several games he was lights out. And, you know, just go back to Alabama. Nobody diced up Alabama's defense like Matt Corral did last season. But at the same time, he threw six picks against Arkansas. 
There were seven turnovers against LSU. They dropped those games. And I kind of see the same thing in Joe Milton where you're rolling the dice, but if you get the best Joe Milton you can, I think Tennessee can really upset some teams in the SEC. If he has a meltdown, they could lose to just about anybody. But uh, I think it's going to be a really, really fun season for Tennessee fans one way or another. Yeah, no doubt about it with SEC Mike. And, you know, you talked about Lane Kiffin a little bit. You mentioned him and Matt Corral. What do you think we're going to see out of Lane Kiffin as well as uh, Mike Leach, uh, you know, the Pirate in their second seasons? Do you think, you know, Leach is a good fit for the SEC or did you see him improve throughout the season and get better because they started off like gangbusters, but once everybody figured them out, it seems like they kind of, you know, pumped the brakes and slowed down a little bit. So what do you expect out of Kiffin and, and the, the Pirate? Coach Leach. Yeah, you know, people are quick to forget, but at this time last year, we were all saying, well, these first-year coaches in the SEC, good luck. They're not going to win a game because they didn't have spring, and they've got an abbreviated training camp, and, and there were so many guys going in and out of the lineup with COVID. And, you know, pretty quietly, like you said, Mississippi State, you know, they, they've had their moments. They almost beat Georgia in Athens late in the season. That was JT Daniels first uh, start for the Bulldogs, and he threw for nearly 500 yards in that game, and, and they, I think they won by seven points. So I, I like what I've seen at Mississippi State. Uh, the inconsistency on the offense, like you noted there, is, is a huge question mark. And more than anything, that offensive line, I mean, time and time again, they were facing three-man rushes, and they were either giving up pressures or sacks, which is completely inexcusable. So the fate of uh, Mississippi State's offense, I like their quarterback. they got two good running backs. They've got a number of good receivers, but it's all going to come down to that offensive line. And their defense was, uh, you know, that was a huge question mark, but they were pretty solid last year. So I think Mississippi State's going to be a lot tougher than people suspect. And Ole Miss, Lane Kiffin, I mean, quietly, they led the SEC in rushing last year. And they bring back essentially everybody in that run game. And, you know, we're all touting Matt Corral for good reason. Again, if they can get – if they can avoid the six-turnover game here, a seven-turnover game there, uh, I think they're going to be in pretty much every football game they're in if they can get that really good Matt Corral to show up week in and week out. So, uh, yeah, watch out for the state of Mississippi. I think both those teams are going to be really good this year. Well, let's go to the state of Georgia. Do you think Georgia has finally closed the gap and can – take down Alabama or at least, you know, go to a national championship. That's just all they're asking there in Georgia. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this has got to be the year, doesn't it? With uh, Florida presumably taking a step back. And I think Alabama is even going to take a slight step back here. And the, the path to the East championship, the path to Atlanta is very clear for Atlanta. I know they've been kind of banged up. So would not be, I've been saying all off season, I think Georgia is going to beat Clemson, but now that Georgia's kind of limping into that game, I'm kind of backing off my confidence. I still think Georgia could win, and, and uh, it would not surprise me at all if they beat Clemson in the opener, but I am prepared for all the hot takes that uh, Kirby can't coach and Georgia's overrated and all this if they lose the week one game. But if they lose that one, that's probably going to be the only game they lose. I think Georgia cruises to the SEC championship. I think they win the SEC. I think they win the national championship. It's time for those uh, 1980 jokes to, to finally die. SEC Mike, hey, on the way out, LSU making a lot of news today with enhanced COVID protocols in order to come to their football games this fall, I guess even on campus at this point. I saw that right before we went on the air. 
Do you think we will start to see – I think there's already been word out of Tennessee that they will not require that. Do you think we'll see other schools follow suit with LSU on that? Uh, well, yeah, and we, I mean, we, I assume you're just talking SEC because Oregon's done it as well. But uh, Yeah, I'm talking really SEC, yeah. Gotcha. I, I mean, I think it's really going to be a case-by-case uh, basis because uh, I think LSU, maybe they had – I don't know their COVID numbers at the moment, but uh, maybe they felt forced to do that because uh, uh, just I'm just going off the reaction here. It does not seem like uh, most of the fans support this decision, so – uh, these schools are, are making a decision that, uh, you know, I think the vast majority of fans disagree with. So I don't think they, most schools are going to want to do this unless the, you know, health boards or what have you uh, advise them to do so. So uh, I, I would not be prepared for that to happen until, like I said, these health boards, maybe they have the final say. And if so, uh, then I, I think we will see it more and more across the SEC. Yeah, Mike, I tend to agree with you that it would be a city or county board of health or a campus-wide mandate that would that would put them there. Uh, Blaine's got one more to say. Yeah, in no, to, to add to that, though, do you think if teams can't play in games that they'll – let's I'm going to use the word fine, and, that, and when I say fine, I meant maybe some of their TV money at the end of the year that they're supposed to receive will get uh, taken based off how much uh, – I mean games that they play. Do you think that could ever happen to anybody? In the SEC, uh, I mean, yeah, because I don't think they want to go through what they did last year. Right. Where I mean, there was times where on Wednesday or Thursday we did not know if a Saturday game was taking place, right. and it, I think that's a lot easier to do when there's no fans in the stands. You know, yeah. so uh, there's so much uh, money at stake that I don't think uh, I think there will be some kind of fines. And it's it's interesting. I mean, I'm just reading into the situation here, but who in the SEC are the teams that are vaccinated? It's Alabama, it's Georgia, it's LSU. It's the teams that uh, I'm looking at it have a chance to win uh, the SEC and, and maybe a national championship. So, uh, And the teams that uh, don't, they seem to be at the bottom of the standing. So uh, it's interesting to me that uh, the level of buy-in is, is different across uh, the programs with high expectations of, of, and maybe the expectations are, are different elsewhere. And, uh, you know, so these are these are football decisions at the end of the day. It, it certainly seems like just just on the outside looking in. Mike, thank you, man. Thank you for the time. People, again, that SEC podcast, they can catch all the latest episodes and, and right there on your Twitter at Michael W. Bratton. Thank you, man. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate yes, it. sir. SEC Mike. Uh, last night I wanted to watch Trevor Lawrence, and I got to watch some of that game, but it was a former Vol receiver that really got my attention. Oh, by the way, and Jameis Winston chucking it all over the place. Let's get into that next. Blaine and Mickey, 104.5 The Zone. Blaine and Mickey, 104.5 The Zone. I wanted to see Trevor Lawrence last night because I, I want to feel like I got a handle on what the Jags are going to bring here. And this Urban Meyer thing has just been such a wild experiment. He brings in Tim Tebow, even though I'm sure people said, don't bring in Tim Tebow. He's already cut him and he... Signed the one coach that he had to cut, what, the next day from Iowa, the strength coach. And there have been some other things where he's done and then had to undo things. Uh, you watched the game last night. Travis Etienne, they're saying now he's got Liz Frank injury. You had that, right? Yeah, and I people did. People were saying, oh, this could, this could be. No, you don't just walk away from a Liz Frank injury. Now they're saying it could be more serious. He could miss the whole year. But the initial reports was it just could be a week or something. That's not a week or something injury. I don't know why people are saying that. Well, and it's kind of uh, – well, here's why I think they say that. 
because I thought uh, when I talked to the doctors that I could probably play in the next two or three weeks, but I had to stay off of it. Yeah. And so naturally I was biting at the bit. Like I, I always talk about, no, I'm playing, I'm playing. So after two weeks, I'm like, oh, I'm good, man. I, I feel great. I go out there and run four day and then and look great and come back the next day. And I can't even do uh, toe raises. Oh, okay. Yeah. So running was off limit. And I was like, what the heck? And so eventually, either you're going to have the surgery or you're going to rest it for, let's say, four to six weeks with not doing anything. And so that means even longer with rest and getting back in shape and, you know, getting your foot up to par and everything else. So I would err on the side of caution. And if he needs surgery just to move forward uh, and get the surgery and he just be, you know, he's just going to have to miss this season. Right. And they have some serviceable, you know, other good running backs. So. Got that he un- does got yeah. that undrafted guy who ran all over everybody last year. Right. Robinson. But they have uh, Trayvon Austin too, who's an explosive yep. type, you know, player. How they're going to use Etn? I think more running back as well as the slot receiver type guy, dynamic player. So uh, yeah, that's unfortunate for them, but uh, you know, good for everybody else who's going to be playing them. <laughs> <laughs> you never want to hurt, you know. You know, which uh, ill will or injury to anybody, but uh, hopefully it gets well soon. As we see, the Colts are, are getting well real quick with their foot surgeries. They're they're, they're practicing. All, they're all there practicing. Yeah, and I believe both of them. Uh, well, Wentz and uh, uh, Nelson, the guard. Yeah, Oof. and they looked. Uh, they were moving around from based off of Twitter. They looked like they were moving around pretty good. I don't know what surgery they had, but man, that looked like it was just a scope, nothing major, like no. Real cuts and putting pins and screws, right? And things stuff that, like that, in right? There. Things that make you know the security people at the airport. Like when I go through with you and we walk around the corner, but goes, "Hey, Blaine!" Yeah, yeah, they all know you. <laughs> like you know, after you know the the security goes off and they go, "Well, what?" What I said, "No, it's my plate in my arm. It's not I like go take a, your belt off." They're like, "It's in a, my arm, man." Right, right, my belt is off. My, <laughs> I'm almost like, like a major league pitcher hey, out there. Hey, with I can't take off my shirt, man. I don't want people fainting out here. <laughs> you know, or anything for good reasons. There, sure. <laughs> so, gun show. Yeah, can't but, get those guns out of here. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> quit playing right there. Uh, but anyway, the, the Saints and the Jaguars. Uh, Winston looked really good. He's nine of ten. Yeah, I, I, I thought he was a better passer. Uh, I, I think it, it's a better fit with Tyson Hill being more the gadget, change of pace guy who can do multiple things. So I'm always fascinated when he can do a lot of different things. He should be the quarterback, and then, uh, you know, offensively, the Jaguars did not look good to me Mm-mm. with with Trevor Lawrence at the helm. Uh, and some of the – some of, I didn't even like some of the play call. And when I say that, I'm talking about, like, not the actual play call. They ran him into the boundary, and he's right-handed, and he's rolling left, yeah, and he, he has to throw whacked. across it. And I go, well, why did they call that? Like, he's not left-handed. No. He's not Tua. So that shows me awareness of where you're at on the field as a play caller. I know that's not Urban Meyer, but he's trying to let the guys call. I mean, he's evaluating everything. So those are little bitty things, let alone their their team needs to be, a, you know, they got to get better on offense. But if they get it, they have some skilled players on the offense. Um, so hopefully you just get after them on, on the O-line and slow that development of Trevor Lawrence early in the season. You always talk about, Okay, just the speed of the NFL, and there's practice speed, and then there's exhibition game speed, and then there's game speed, and then there's playoff speed, yeah. and those are all real things. Mm-hmm. 
on that play you're talking about where he where he everybody goes to right and he turns he boots and fakes rolls back to the left into the boundaries of a short field. So he, what are your options to throw first of all? What, then you're throwing across your body. None did, of this sounds good to me. Did you see how fast that defensive end closed on? Oh him? yeah, it, it, it's wham. No, you just did the wham. Imagine putting a piece of meat in front of a alligator. That's how, and his, how quickly his jaws were closed. That's how quickly that guy went after him, like he was a piece of meat. Yeah, and it's scary. People don't understand no. the real difference mm. in the NFL is the guys in the trenches and how fast they can actually run. Oh, gosh. You got a guy's skill guy, 4-4 four, four is 4-4. Four, 4-3 four. Four, right. is 4-3. But when you see a guy in his first five yards is running stride for stride with a 4-3 guy and he weighs 300-something pounds, you go, uh-oh, this is different. Yeah, here's a good example. When we are at practice, they used to have me or other DB skill guys rush the offensive linemen. And they said, we just want your first three steps because your get-off is as fast as the elite pass rushers. Right. Mm-hmm. And if you can block a little DB with the speed, right. not you can't block them, but with the speed and be in front of them and hold base, then you'll be fine. Mm-hmm. I mean, and... <laughs> It shows out uh, that some of these guys, their their first, uh, their get off and their first two or three steps is pretty impressive for a big man. It, yeah, I was I was impressed. I was impressed with the Saints' uh, defensive line too, and the second string guys. They too. were hunting. Oh, I'm man. like, ooh, it's different. I mean, I, maybe because it's on turf, it just looked a little faster. It, it looked comically fast to me. There were times where Lawrence, if he held the ball, if he padded it more than once. Somebody was in his face. Yeah, he's looking too long. He's holding to the ball too yep. long. I, I, somebody needs to just say, hey, this. You need to anticipate that the guy's going to be open and throw it before he breaks on his out cut or in cut or whatever. He's waiting till they're open, just like he was in college. Somebody needs to tell him that. Because then I'd start getting rid of that thing like a hot potato. I would, too. And be like, oh, you threw interception. Well, he was supposed to cut right there. He was supposed to turn around and look. I'm like, next start hitting him in the head with the ball. <laughs> Boom. And they'd be like, man, get your head around. All right. Lucas telling us we got to go. But tip of the cap to Marquez Callaway because that rascal was buck wild balling last night. It doesn't surprise me at all. I I was shocked that he didn't get drafted two years ago. I mean, guy 6'2", can return punts. That shows how athletic he is. Most of the tall receivers that are back there returning kicks like that. Right. And, you know, he was a good route runner. He's He's a really good athlete, real good kid, too. So, yeah, it was good to see that that happened. Now he's going to be starting with Michael Thomas out. He's now that's opened the window for him to be a starter, and now he's going to impact the game. All you have to do is seize your opportunity, Mickey, and he's doing that, and he deserves it. No doubt. We'll get into t- some Titans seizing their opportunity, who was on the field, who wasn't. We'll give you some practice updates. Uh, also, I think Lucas got a little audio from Shane Bowen. We'll hear that in the second hour as well, talking about just the mindset of this defense and where they are now. It's You'll want to hear from the Titans, D.C., all coming up in the second hour. And Coach Mack, it's coming up too. Blaine and Mickey, 104.5 The Zone. <laughs>